As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So, Mike, I've got a question for you. Yes, Michael? How many shares of Shiba Inu do you have in your crypto account these days? Well, it's funny you mention that because I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day about this screen grab I saw online of this crypto wallet. Somebody had $8,000 of Shiba Inu shares in their wallet as of last August. Today, those shares are worth $5.7 <laughs> billion. Dollars. Wait. Was that yours? Michael, if it was, we probably wouldn't be recording right now. I would be on a private island, you know, on my sabbatical. I'd be back. Don't worry. But anyway, no, sadly, it is not me. Well, I asked the question because in today's episode, in this season titled Antitrust, as we explore the breakdown of trust we have in our technology, we're going to be covering cryptocurrency. All right. Well, there's definitely a lot to cover there. I mean, there is the upside and... 
I'm not even talking about the potential to create altcoin billionaires <laughs> like this wallet holder, uh, but other real benefits that cryptocurrencies bring. Uh, but there are downsides as well. And well, there's a lot to get into, isn't there? All right. Well, let's get into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So no Shiba Inu for you, Mike, eh? No, no. But I do have some cryptocurrency I bought a long time ago and figure I'd hold on for the long term. So I'm not I'm not a crypto hater or anything. <laughs> All right. Very good. As do I. And uh do you have those diamond hands? <laughs> well, I guess you kind of have to these days, right? Like, But, like, you know, any kind of investment, there's definitely risk with crypto. Uh, it's definitely volatile. So if you do hang on, you better hang on tight because there are plenty of ups and downs. And, and those ups and downs aren't just limited to the value in your wallet. There's a lot of upside, but... Also, a lot of downside involved with cryptocurrencies. Well, we should probably start by giving a little bit of a primer. At this point, I'm sure most of our listeners know what the concept of cryptocurrencies are. But even still, it might be helpful just to do a bit of a rewind and give a brief history of crypto. Pretty much ever since the internet has been around, um, people have talked about the potential for digital currencies. But a true digital currency, it's always been a bit of a conundrum because Anything digital can be replicated or copied pretty easily. And when that happens, there's this double spending issue. So if I have a digital dollar and figure out a way to duplicate it, I now have two digital dollars, right, that I could spend. And even though I should have only had that one. So it's not much different than, say, photocopying an actual dollar bill and trying to use it. In the 1990s, attempts were made to combat this by institutions serving as centralized sources to verify transactions. Of course, the problem with that is those centralized sources could be perfect targets to be hacked or simply for corruption. Because if you can figure out a way to infiltrate that one single source, you basically have taken over almost unlimited supply of money. But then somebody came up with a solution to solve some of these issues. Here's Chris Berg on the Capital.com YouTube channel with more of this history lesson. The attempts at digital currency in the 1990s solved this problem with centralization. They would introduce a trusted source that verified that each transaction hadn't been double spent. But this solution has its own problems. How much can we trust the trusted source? That central authority is a single point of security weakness. Both scammers and nation states could target the central authority to corrupt it or control it. In 2008, the pseudonymous Satoshi Nakamoto solved the double spending problem and the Bitcoin network went live in January 2009. Bitcoin is a digital currency powered by what we call a blockchain, a chain of blocks of transactions strung together in a digital ledger. What's amazing about Bitcoin and all the blockchains that have come since is that they don't need a central authority to validate transactions. The network does that itself. A decentralized platform that solves the double spending issue. That's what we have in Bitcoin. And 
many other blockchain cryptocurrencies. Yes. So thank you, Satoshi Nakamoto, for that. So we talked about those problems that these cryptocurrencies were meant to solve. The solution it provides, it's actually pretty big, right? The fact that it exists in a decentralized network is huge rather than within the common banking system. In the past, digital currencies existed, but they were controlled by an entity, and that entity then had a lot of power. If that entity wanted to, say, change the value of a coin, they simply could by printing more coins or deleting coins. So the value was all in their hand. But when a cryptocurrency is decentralized, there's no monopoly. Nobody has the power to make those sorts of decisions. The market makes those decisions. And in theory, this helps keep things stable at least for much more established cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. In fact, in some cases, Bitcoin, while still relatively volatile compared to, say, the U.S. dollar, it can actually be much more stable than other currencies, like in Venezuela. Here's entrepreneur Simon Chamorro in this Bloomberg Quick Take piece from earlier this summer. Growing up in Venezuela, essentially, whatever my dad and my mom were able to build uh, during their life was lost. When the economy started to fail, we, for example, had water shortages or like electricity blackouts across the country. Money was starting to get hyperinflated. This is not like a sad story that I'm trying to tell. This is the reality of most Venezuelans. More than 99% of the Venezuelans lost everything they've built because the country failed. All of the Venezuelans' savings of most middle-class people went to zero. I knew I wanted to build something. I had to find my purpose. I always knew I wanted to start a company and to build things, which is the reason why I studied industrial design with the hypothesis that I was going to be able to build things. I didn't pursue that career, but I learned a lot of things that got me into tech. So I found crypto through tech. I felt passionate about the technology. And then when I understood the potential of crypto, I realized that Venezuela is potentially the best place to do this at a massive scale. Simon Chamorro did go on to start a company of his own in the cryptocurrency space. The name of his company is Value. Here's Simon again. Our main objective right now as a company is to enable merchants to accept digital dollars as a medium of payment. And so people have to use the, the Bolivar less and less. We're focused on building a product that serves from the richest person with a lot of education and technical literacy from the lowest in comparison with very low education and low technical literacy. In a country like Venezuela, where the minimum wage is $1, you have a situation where most people are starting their own little business, selling hot dogs or selling the local food called arepas or uh, whatever they do, but they sell it to their community. And you have these hyper-local communities, so we wanna help them accept payments in dollars, in, in digital dollars, stablecoins, and then onboard users. The more consumers that pay in dollars, the better for the merchants. The more merchants that accept it, the better for the consumer. So for countries like Venezuela, the advent of cryptocurrency wasn't just some meme stock fad that was viewed as a passing novelty. It actually was viewed as a potential solution to a broken financial system. It's still not completely certain whether Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general can be that solution, but there are signs that can help provide the stability needed there. And many investors see Bitcoin specifically as the inflation hedge that they've been looking for for decades, one that's even more powerful than gold. Of course, there's some debate around that, but... Here's a segment from Bloomberg Markets and Finance from just a couple weeks back. 
After hitting a low of around 31,000 in mid-July, Bitcoin is healthily recovered, currently trading at around 57,000, not far from its all-time highs. Not only have crypto markets been steady in the face of calls for increased oversight and China's ban on cryptocurrency taking effect, but Bitcoin has recently decoupled from the weak stock markets. This has revived speculation that the cryptocurrency might be beginning to draw demand as a safe haven or inflation hedge asset. Industry experts say that Bitcoin's latest resilience stems from the cryptocurrency's store of value appeal, continued institutional inflows into the crypto market, speculation that the U.S. will soon approve a futures-based Bitcoin ETF, and positive seasonality. In addition, some investors could be buying the cryptocurrencies on expectations that the final three months of the year will bring a more substantial rally, as they have often done in the past. Since the time of that segment, Bitcoin hits its all-time high on October 20th. It retreated a bit after that, and by the time this episode airs, honestly, who knows, perhaps it's retreated more, or perhaps it's peaked even higher. Regardless, the fact remains that Bitcoin, while still volatile, seems to have its own movement separate from the stock market, which is what investors look for in a hedge. This is true, right? So it's all rainbows and unicorns for cryptocurrency, right? Well, <laughs> in the words of Lee Corso on a Saturday morning of college game day, not so fast. <laughs> we're going to take a short break here, but after that, we're going to get into some of the maybe darker sides of cryptocurrency, and there are plenty. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. Com. That's business.att.com. Before the break, we got a bit of a history lesson on cryptocurrency and learned a few reasons why people are so excited about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. But along with that enthusiasm and the upside, there's some real challenges that have come along as well. Yeah, very serious challenges. I mean, for starters, the way that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are designed they're inherently bad for the environment. And to the casual observer, this might be hard to understand. Why would a Bitcoin be bad for the environment? Well, the process of creating a Bitcoin, it turns out, uses a lot of energy. Here's David Grossman from BBC Newsnight explaining a bit about how Bitcoin mining works. Cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin don't have a central register. Their strength comes from having what is called a distributed ledger. It's a blockchain. The blocks on the blockchain contain details of every transaction in the currency's history. As new transactions happen, they have to be placed in blocks and added to the chain. A new block contains roughly 2,500 new transactions. And to validate the new block, each one contains the answer to the puzzle from the last block. So this mining, it's incredibly important because it's involved so many people in the process and they're essentially validating those mathematical puzzles. And the more people solving those puzzles, the more secure the entire platform is and the less susceptible it is to theft or fraud. But all of those people involved and all of those computers involved solving those complex puzzles, well, it takes up a lot of energy. And the more people are interested in Bitcoin and the more transactions that take place, the more demand there is for these Bitcoin miners to play 
that role, right, of keeping the network moving forward, which means more computers are used, more electricity is used. Here's the Guardian's UK technology editor, Alex Kern, breaking it all down for a segment for the Guardian. We're talking about a system which is built from the ground up to encourage people to use about £200,000 worth of electricity every 10 minutes. That, when you scale it up, is about two and a half times the energy use per year of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, and Google combined. 120 terawatt hours of electricity. It's also around the same as Norway. Bitcoin miners try and minimize this cost to themselves. They tend to congregate in areas that have very cheap electricity, or they have very cold weather because it means they don't have to spend much money cooling their computers that get very hot when they do this useless calculation. But the network is always going to roughly balance out at using 29 million pounds worth of electricity every day. And that's always going to come out as an astronomically high energy usage. Now, if I heard that right, he said more energy is used in just 10 minutes by Bitcoin miners than what some of the biggest technology companies in the world use combined in an entire year. As Bitcoin continues to scale its adoption, you can see how this is a scary proposition. Back in March, one of Bitcoin's biggest proponents, Elon Musk, stated that Tesla would actually stop accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment until Bitcoin miners used a more sustainable approach to mining. A few months later, he reckoned that Tesla would be able to begin accepting Bitcoin once again as there were positive developments to Bitcoin miners adopting more eco-friendly approaches to mining. And again, this is all about Bitcoin, but other cryptocurrencies do take a more sustainable approach in the way that their coins are mined or created. Cryptocurrencies like SolarCoin, Cardano, Stellar, and others have taken a different approach that does seem to be more sustainable. Nevertheless, the impact on our environment is still a major negative for cryptocurrencies in general. One other negative stems from one of the big positives of crypto. And what's that? Well, the unsustainable way that Bitcoin's mined, it's designed that way to make the currency more secure, to prevent less fraud, right? Yep. Well, there's still an issue with that. Because it's secure and because it's decentralized and transactions are private, well, it means that adoption is very high by people who, well, may not be doing things on the up and up. I mean, people associated with things like organized crime or the dark web. I mean, they're considered to be some of the big power users of cryptocurrency. Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense, right? If one is trying to purchase illegal drugs online, it would make sense for them to turn to a cryptocurrency where it can't be traced versus their bank account. Yeah, remember Silk Road, the Amazon of the dark web, so to speak? You could only use Bitcoin if you wanted to transact there. And how would you know this, Mike? From our research, <laughs> definitely will not find me messing around on the dark web, although it does kind of hit home. I had friends that worked at this company in Ohio, a company called Coin Ninja. It was a completely legitimate company in the crypto space, but its founder, Larry Harmon, while well, on the side, he apparently ran one of the biggest Bitcoin mixer services offered on the dark web. Wow. I definitely remember that. Was it called Helix or something? That was it. Yeah, Helix. And now it's a mixer that he ran for three years. And for those who aren't familiar with the term, mixer is something that takes Bitcoin from clients uh, or other cryptocurrencies, I suppose, and essentially mixes it all together and then redistributes it. It's meant to help make it even more untraceable. Um, anyway, Harmon ran Helix totally separate from Coin Ninja. 
but he was arrested in 2020 and he ended up pleading guilty and faces now up to 20 years of prison time. He also ended up forfeiting over $200 million worth of cryptocurrency to the government. Wow. Okay. So that type of activity, it certainly existed before Bitcoin, but like you said, because of its features, it definitely attracts the type of clientele that craves even more privacy, including those partaking in illegal activities. Yeah, for sure. And while we're talking about the increased security that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies bring, doesn't necessarily mean that it's not susceptible to fraud at all. I mean, everybody knows that there's a lot of money in crypto. And so, of course, it's going to attract the swindlers looking to target unsuspecting marks. Yes, despite the extra security features that cryptocurrency has, we still hear of occasions where somebody has a load of money sitting in some sort of crypto wallet somewhere, and then poof, it's gone. It may have been more difficult to get into, but once fraudsters got into the crypto wallets, sent the crypto away, it's nearly impossible to get back. Yeah, just this past summer, we actually heard of a case where $600 million was stolen by hackers who found a vulnerability in the Poly Network, which is a platform that connects different blockchains so they could work together. I mean, can you imagine that, stealing $600 million just like that? Of course, the hacker didn't end up with $600 million. He ended up with... Nothing. Well, that's true. In a pretty shocking turn of events, the hacker who named himself Mr. White Hat, he ended up returning everything back to the Poly Network after a lot of pleading and back and forth. There was a message attached to the final tranche that Mr. White Hat returned. That message was, keep calm, and this is the happy ending. I have to admit that my wild or mad behaviors have led to crises to your project your team, and even your lives. Sorry for the inconvenience. It might be one of the most wild adventures in our lives. <laughs> that sounds like something right out of a movie. Well, that's fitting because another fraud-related story relates to a TV show. Oh, yeah? A TV show? <laughs> Which one? The Squid Game. Oh, of course it does, right? Most recently, we saw the introduction of the Squid Token inspired by the popular TV show, Squid Game. Yes, the Squid Token was introduced on October 26th at just a penny a token. And before too long, it started increasing in value very quickly. We even heard of some of these altcoin millionaires or billion... Oh. We've heard of some of these altcoin millionaires or even billionaires being made over the course of a year. Well... The squid token was putting people on that track in just a matter of days. There was just a catch, though. You could buy the token, but at first you couldn't sell the token. So that massive wealth you had the potential to accumulate quickly, it was really just on paper, or should we say online. Yeah, until it wasn't anywhere at all. On November 1st, the squid token had a massive rise and fall. Here's Marco of the YouTube channel Whiteboard Marco. Uh, fun fact... Marco was actually my first employee that I ever hired when I had the company eFuneral. Now he runs this awesome YouTube channel full-time helping educate Gen Z about finance. Anyway, here's Marco about that fateful day for the Squid Token. If you guys followed the uh, Squid Game token, uh, this token went up thousands of percent. And here's an actual live stream from a Twitch streamer. So the market cap is $2.168 trillion. Dollars. And now the mark. Oh! Oh! It went to zero! Yeah! I think that Twitch streamer actually had it wrong, and the market cap was over $2 billion, not $2 trillion, but it did bottom out to zero just like that. 
Back to Marco. It literally goes zero in this video. If you look at that red candle, it literally plummets to zero, which I'll show you some context uh, right here so you can see the actual prices. Uh, so this this happened this morning at the time of the recording. Uh, it went from $38 all the way to $2,800, five minutes later to zero in the span of essentially uh, four hours and five minutes. Let me reemphasize that. It started at one cent on October 26th. Let's just say you were bullish on it and bought $1,000 worth of squid token. You'd have 100,000 shares if you bought it on day one. Then, by the morning of November 1st, you had started the day with each share being worth over $38. So your $1,000 investment was now up to $3.8 million. If you didn't cash out yet, you'd be feeling great. And, well, you couldn't have cashed out yet because it wasn't possible <laughs> to cash out. So, so you're holding, of course, right? You have no choice. Anyways, the day goes on, the shares go up and up and up all the way to $2,856 at its peak. Ooh. Your $1,000 investment is now worth $285 million. And then seconds later, it's worth nothing. And it's worth nothing because it was all a scam. A classic rug pull scam where the founder simply cashed out, shut down the project. A developer behind the Squid token posted a simple message on its Telegram channel. The message read, Squid Game Dev does not want to continue running the project as we are depressed from the scammers and is overwhelmed with stress. Depressed from the scammers. <laughs> overwhelmed with stress. Tell that to the person in Shanghai who invested $26,000 of his life savings at precisely the wrong moment, right before the token bottomed out. This loss of wealth would stress out anybody. But sometimes it doesn't happen from a scam. It simply happens by accident. By accident? This Today Show segment aired in January about Stefan Thomas, who had a Bitcoin wallet with 7,000 coins. At today's value, that's nearly half a billion dollars. But there was a problem. If Stefan could only remember his password. Just like lay in bed and come up with a new way to recover it and then wouldn't work and I would try another way and it wouldn't work either. He's already made eight failed attempts to unlock the drive. Now he only has two more tries to get it right or the device will self-delete, clearing all of its data forever, including the password that will unlock all those millions. It's not like I barely don't remember it. It's, it's, there's no chance of remembering something that complicated from 10 years ago. Because Bitcoin isn't represented by physical coins, it can't be held by a bank, meaning the military-grade drive is holding the only key to Stefan's digital fortune. Online, word of his password predicament has inspired some creative solutions, everything from hackers offering to crack the code to hypnosis. Is there at least maybe just the slightest bit of hope that you have buried somewhere in your head? Yeah, I mean, it, it, in some ways, like that hope makes it more difficult uh, because it's like, you know, it's, it's easier if you can just let it be in the past and forget about it. Still, Stefan says he's chosen not to dwell on his almost certain loss, reality he came to terms with years ago. Ever since then, I've never had to worry about any other screw-ups or failures. And if I can move past that mistake, I can move past anything. I don't know, Mike. Could you move past losing a half billion dollars? You know what? Let's just cut <laughs> to a break right now. I can't even talk about the anxiety. Even just thinking about that is bringing me. So we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Well, we've heard about the upsides of cryptocurrency, the decentralization, which leads to a more stable future for unstable economies, the added privacy and security. But also the downsides, the real toll that cryptocurrency takes on our environment, the fact that it's still not immune to fraud or even accidental loss of, in some cases, 
hundreds of millions of dollars. So how can we process all of that? Do the benefits outweigh the downside? Well, let's finish this episode by hearing from experts. Like, well, how about Charlie Munger from Berkshire Hathaway on CNBC? Bitcoin is worthless artificial gold, which if it succeeded would facilitate a lot of illicit activity. Now that is not something I think the world needs. And CEO of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, here on Yahoo CNBC. Welcome back to Yahoo Finance Live. We are seeing Bitcoin moving higher right now. Uh, still below that $60,000 handle though. Uh, JP Morgan CEO, Jamie Dimon though, not bullish. No surprise here. Uh, Yahoo Finance's Jennifer Schomberger here with the very latest comments from Diamond Worthless. Is that what it comes down to? Hey, good afternoon. Yeah, that's right. Uh, CEO of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, uh, speaking out this afternoon at the Institute of International Finance, saying again that he thinks that crypto is, quote unquote, worthless. And Bill Gates here on Bloomberg. I do think people get bought into these manias who may not have as much money to spare. So I'm not uh, bullish on Bitcoin. And, you know, I, my general thought would be uh, that, you know, if you have less money than Elon, you should probably uh, watch out. Those are all detractors of Bitcoin, mostly in terms of how it may perform financially in the long run. But there are others, like former Facebook executive and venture capitalist Shamath Palatapia. Look, I'm a disciple of Buffett and Munger, and one of the things that um, they have said for years, which I believe, is you define a circle of competence and you stay within it. And I think it's been clear in his entire investing career that technology is not in his circle of competence. I don't think he looks at it as a technology. I think he looks at it as an asset class that he would put in the same, a similar class with gold. Just it's a non-productive asset. It's an asset that is only worth more if other people agree to pay more for it. That, that's the type of issue that Which he's Which I also about. agree with. I think, I think it is exactly that. I think it is a replacement to gold. A Buffett and Munger disciple who says Bitcoin is a replacement to gold Here's investor Anthony Pompliano on the Lex Clips YouTube channel. So let's just look at it from a macro perspective. Uh, gold is a $10 trillion asset. And when you compare the technology of gold to the technology of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is superior in every single way, right? It's more portable, it's more divisible, uh, it's more verifiable, it's more scarce on everything. And so some people would argue it's a 10x improvement. Some people argue it's a 100x improvement from a technology standpoint. And so... We don't need Bitcoin to actually kind of um, capture the full 10x or 100x improvement from a, a market cap standpoint. If Bitcoin simply captures 2x the value, it'd be a $20 trillion market cap, which would put Bitcoin at about a million dollars. So is Bitcoin a good thing or a bad thing? Is it a passing fad or is it here to stay? Will it be worthless in 10 years or worth a million dollars for just one coin? <laughs> The only of these questions that we may be able to answer is that it doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. I do think crypto is here to stay, at least in some incarnation. And because of that alone, I mean, it's worth digging into more, continuing to understand all the benefits that it brings, but also all the drawbacks as well. I mean, even if you're the biggest crypto super fan, maybe this episode can help inspire you to make the crypto world a little better and do your part in helping solve some of these challenges that do exist. I mean, who knows, right? If you do that, maybe that helps you get closer to that million dollar per coin level. As they say, to the moon? Did I say that right, Michael? <laughs> 
Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so we'll be back next week with more from this season called Antitrust here on Rocketship.fm, exploring the good, but also the breakdown of trust we have in technology today. For Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka. So long. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.